Hey, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Acts again. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to bring our focus down to uh, just the last five, six verses that John read, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Near the end of his time in elementary school, uh, our son decided he wanted to be part of the band. And uh, initially, his instrument of choice was going to be the saxophone, but he went to the band director, he tried out several instruments. It was recommended that he play trumpet. So we rented a trumpet, uh, not knowing where this was going to go. Eventually, we bought a trumpet. I will admit those early days were a little hard on the ears. Uh, But you know what? I can tell you if uh, parents out there are listening, uh, it gets better. Uh, we, We went from those early measures of let's go band Bump, 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 bump. That let's go about eight measures of that, and it ends with bump, 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 bump. Let's go band. That was where we began. But we went all the way to being there when the Wheaton North High School Wind Ensemble performed a piece called Testament by David Maslanka. It was a tribute to the events of 9-11, and they performed that piece on the stage at Carnegie Hall. It gets better. During those years, something else took place, something we hadn't planned on. Uh, Charlene and I became part of a, a community. We were part of the band parents. Uh, I ended up being the president of the Monroe Middle School Band Parents Association. When our son graduated from middle school, went on into high school, he joined the marching band, and we became marching band parents. We went along, and we helped out at band camp in August in the heat. We uh, learned how to load and unload trucks. We carried instruments on and off the field. We, we would sit in the stadium at football games and cheer the team on and cheer the band on. We would uh, go to marching contests, and we would there in the heat and the rain and be involved and, and just gut it out. We, went for, we would be on school buses sometimes till, nine, till 11, 12, midnight, until 11 or midnight on a Saturday night. You know, it, it was, we were band parents. We were committed. We've been to band contests from all the way up in Buffalo Grove to all the way down to St. Louis, Missouri. Band parents, we talked together, we laughed together, we stood in the sun and the rain together. At the end of the Falcon Fest marching contest, we met at Wheaton Bowl and we ate chili together. It was a community of parents doing everything we could do to help our students be successful. And we also found ways to come alongside and support one another. The year our band marched, and you notice now I say our band, you know, it was we, our band. I, I, they didn't let me touch an instrument except to maybe carry a case. Uh, but the year our band marched in the Bands of America competition in the Dome Stadium in St. Louis was also a year that our family and our extended family were facing the tragedy of a sudden and untimely death of one of our family members. In fact, 
the weekend we were in St. Louis, I would be preaching that funeral just a few days later in that area. And it was interesting because in that moment, and everybody at that point knew my occupation, but in that moment, at that time, in that difficult time in our life, it was like the band parents came along and did their best to comfort the pastor. I recall one moment. We're standing on the street corner in St. Louis, getting ready to cross the street. One of the band parent dads comes up to me, puts his hand on my shoulder, and he just looked at me. And he said, how you holding up, Scott? How you doing? And I, I recall that because I could hear the compassion in his voice, and I could see the empathy in his eyes, and I knew that he genuinely cared for what I was going through, what Charlene and I were going through at that moment. See, it's, it's what you do in community. Uh, eventually, our son did graduate from high school. We're grateful for that. And all of a sudden, upon graduation day, we were no longer part of the band parent community. The common thread that held us together in community was gone. Our son was no longer in the marching band. Now, even to this day, I still see folks now and again around town. Even as recently as this past Tuesday, I'm in a seminar and sitting there with a the table. There were four of us at the table. We're introducing ourselves. And one of the ladies says, hey, did your son play in the jazz band at Monroe Middle School? I said, yeah, he did. I think our sons were in jazz band together. There was that hint, that thread of community. We connect on Facebook. We say hi in restaurants, but it's no longer the community it was. Community, I believe, is important. Community is valuable. And in Acts chapter 2, we read the story. There's a sense in which almost immediately this fledgling group of people that have all of a sudden all realized who they need to be in Christ have developed a community. And I would suggest it's a community that has much more of a solid foundation and longevity than the band parent community. We're going to look at community in Acts as it forms. And it's going to be the basis of our fifth principle in our study of timeless principles that we glean from this important part of our New Testament. Let me rehearse for a minute. To date, we've discovered that one of the most, that the principles that we've discovered are first, we need to trust in the reality, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to remember as we trust in the Holy Spirit that we have a line of communication and we discover that individual and corporate prayer is to be a core reality in any church, in any gathering of God's people. And when the more we pray, the more we understand our dependence, and so we learn to rely on the Holy Spirit to empower and guide us. And last week we discovered that our, we need to keep our focus on the core message, and the core message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all of those really build together to help us understand the community. Today we're going to discover that no matter where we are, no matter what age we live in, no matter the culture we find ourselves in, as followers of Jesus, we need this principle. We need to embrace the strength of a faith community. 
That's our timeless principle today. Embrace the strength of a timeless, of a faith community. Now, the reason I've stated the principle that way is because the core reality of our community as Christ followers is our faith in Jesus. You would say, why don't you embrace the strength of a church? Well, because a church is a faith community, and by saying it's a faith community, it's based on our faith in Jesus Christ. Let me put it this way. The cross of Jesus Christ is the great equalizer. Everyone must come to the Father through the cross. There are no alternatives. You've heard me say it before. There are many, many ways to Jesus, many avenues that people come to when they come to that realization of who Jesus is. But Jesus said it himself in John 14, there's only one way to the Father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the second thing we find in this timeless principle is that when we come together based on our faith, we have a stability and a strength, if you will, to stand up to a great deal together. You can't read very much in the book of Acts and and not realize that this new community of believers that sprung up was not necessarily popular among everyone in the city of Jerusalem where they began or even in the Roman world. They needed each other. As we've already seen in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are all of a sudden drawn together. At the end of Peter's sermon, they've heard, they've responded to the message of Peter regarding Jesus and the purpose for which he came to this earth. They've repented, they've changed their minds and their ways and have put their faith in Jesus and it's kind of like, okay, this is great, now what? What do we do now? And Peter and the apostles begin to teach them They want to know what it means to live in the kingdom reality of Jesus. What does it mean to live gospel, as we talked about last week? And what we have in these verses in Acts 2, 42 to 47, is kind of a a thumbnail sketch of the foundation of the faith community that sprung up. And I believe we can learn from that. I believe we can see our timeless principle grow out of that. So we hear here, see here in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to, I'm going to stop with that phrase right there, they were devoted to, the word that's translated devoted has the idea of holding on to something. It has the idea of having a strong bond, a connection to something. In his Translation, the late Eugene Peterson in the message says, they committed themselves to. Every community is committed to someone. Every community is committed to something or some person or some system of beliefs. Every community has something that bonds them together. As marching band parents, we were committed to all the elements of marching band. Our focus was the success of the band, and it sometimes came at great personal cost. But I'm going to tell you the mantra, I wish I would have had money for every time I heard this, because maybe retirement would be a little closer. It's all for the kids. Now, I, I, it was. It was all for the kids. 
we showed by our actions that we were devoted to our kids and to this activity. The people in Acts committed themselves and were devoted to four very specific things. First of all, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Let me put it this way. God's word sets the tone for a faith community. Luke says they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Remember, there were 12 specially chosen individuals that Luke in his gospel names as apostles. And, and those apostles been handpicked by Jesus to spend time with him, to learn more from him. He was training them and building them into a force that would go out and change the world. One of those, though, happened to be Judas. And when he was out of the scene, then they got together. We saw that in Acts 1, and they chose another. These were the 12 that were the main teachers. They were focused on teaching all that Jesus had taught them. They had leaned on the Holy Spirit to give them understanding of the Scriptures, and then they began to apply the Scriptures. Now, you've got to bear in mind something. The only Scriptures that were available to them at that time were what we call Genesis to Malachi. Those were the Scriptures. So i got to believe they relied heavily on that sermon that Jesus preached at the end of Luke where he talked to the two from Emmaus and he started with Moses and the prophets and showed how they all pointed to him. And then later on he's in the upper room and he goes with Moses and the law and the prophets and he shows them again all that that related to him. And I believe that because Jesus said in John 6, 14, 15, and 16, the Holy Spirit's going to teach you and remind you what I've taught you. And they were leaning on, they were relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. And they were teaching and they were showing the way that Jesus fulfilled the prophecies. And they were instructing others how to live based on that. We choose our faith communities by using a lot of different metrics these days. Sometimes we look at the facilities. Oh, they have climbing stuff for the kids. That would be fun. Sometimes we look at the programs. Sometimes we look at the background and education of the pastor or staff. And I could go on. We have all these metrics. And yet, I think this timeless principle is one of the most important ones, personally. Is the Word of God primary? Is the teaching of the Word of God primary? Because God's word sets the tone for the faith community. But there was another thing to which they were devoted. In fact, I'm going to teach you a new word today. One that I'm sure you'll see in a dictionary somewhere. And it's this. They discovered that one anotheredness is foundational for faith community. One anotheredness. That's a whole new word. It, in fact, in my... Uh, Word, uh, Microsoft Word document, document, there's a red squiggly line under that word, which means not a word, but it is now. There's a great little book out there. It's been out for a long time by Reuben Welch. It's on the book of 1 John. It was introduced to me by some friends. And the title, I love the title. It's entitled, We Really Do Need Each Other. And that's the essence of one anotheredness. We need each other. 
There are the New Testament is replete with one another passages because we need one another. God has designed us to need one another. He's designed his faith community to be a community where we need one another. The church, the faith community is not just about me, it's about us. It's about that which holds us together. The word fellowship is a very important word. It says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. And to the fellowship would be the, actually if you were to take all the words there, and to the fellowship. What a very important word in the New Testament. We've allowed that word to kind of devolve in its, in its meaning. You know, we've kind of let it get down to the point of having coffee and donuts. Uh, I, was, I was in youth ministry. And uh, we would always talk about the three F's of youth ministry, right? Food, fun, and fellowship. And, and, and it was just, you know, we, it was kind of what we did in the, in the 80s. Uh, but it's a word that's much, much greater than that. It's a word that literally means sharing. It means to have in common. And it's more than just sharing my toys or my stuff. It carries with it an, an intimacy, an understanding. When fellowship takes place in the sense that it's used here, there is something deep that creates common ground. Oftentimes, our experiences can create common ground. As a pastor, I share some common ground with other pastors regardless of their denomination. Uh, we work with people on a daily basis. And sometimes people bring much joy to your life and sometimes people challenge your life and, and, and in unique and creative ways. But I even have another perspective to that. You see, I grew up as a pastor's kid. And I have empathy and common understanding of pastor's kids. One day I'm in a room of pastors and they're all talking about their kids and I'm sitting there listening and finally I said, you know what, guys? I know all of you well enough. I'm the only one in this room that knows what your kids are going through because I'm the only one in this room that's also a pastor's kid. And I know about the image consciousness and I know about people in the church feeling like they're all your parents and I, I know about that. I know what it's like. You know, common experiences. I remember talking to a dad once and his son had just gotten cut, cut from an a athletic team. And he was saying to me, I don't know what to do. I never got cut. Every team I tried out for, I made. I went, wow, I can relate. I remember getting cut. I remember the, the frustration. I had worked hard to make that team. I remember that. I had common ground with his son. I've had the privilege of being in the delivery room for when all three of our children were born, so I have common ground with other dads. My wife, however, delivered all three of those kids. She has another common reality with other mothers that far exceeds my experience. The closest I've gotten is I've delivered a few kidney stones, and so I can relate to a little bit of that pain. Common ground. But in 33 A.D., in Jerusalem, 
we have about 3,000 people. 3,000 people who were from different backgrounds, different experiences, different ethnicities. And Luke says they were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to one anotherness. What commonality did they have? How could they bond so quickly? In those early days, they had one thing in common. Their brand new faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ and a deep hunger and thirst to learn more. You see, we we walk into this building. We have many different backgrounds. Our weeks have gone in different ways. Our experiences have been different. I believe that there's this core belief that when we all together believe there is life and truth and wholeness in Jesus, that that becomes the key to our fellowship, to our sharing, to our commonality. Jesus Christ really is, as it were, the glue that holds things together. We share Christ together. I need to hear how Jesus has worked in your life this past week. I need to hear that. You need to hear how Jesus has worked in my life. I need to celebrate your joys. I want to celebrate with you the joys that you've had in this life. And you know what? I want to be the, I may need you to be a listener to me when I need encouragement, when I'm kind of struggling. You see, I can't see God's hand, but I can see his hand in you, and I can see his hand when you minister to me or I see you ministering to one another. Our relationship with Christ individually should be our greatest bond collectively. We need Jesus, and we need one another. One anotherness is foundational for a faith community. It goes on. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Here's a third part of this overall principle of a faith community. Remembering the work of Jesus keeps our focus as a faith community. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. This was more than just a meal. That's going to come a little bit later in the passage. But remember something. They are just 50 plus days away from the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Just a little over two months, or just about two months away from what happened. It was still real. It was still raw. It was still something they remembered. No doubt the apostles had it fresh in their minds. The last Passover they ever ate with Jesus. And they remembered his words. They're recorded in Luke 22 and reiterated later on by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 that that they were to do these things, to take the bread, to take the wine in remembrance of him. Those images were strong. They did not want to let that word picture go away. Jesus said, as often as you do this, remember me. They were devoted to remembering Jesus. I recently heard a friend describe communion this way. I thought it was really good. He said, it's first a time to look back, 
to reflect on the sacrifice of Jesus, to reflect on the love and grace that we find in that selfless act of Jesus, giving himself as the atonement for our sin. He said, secondly, it's a time to look inward. It's a time to look at my life. And Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 7 says, let one examine themselves. It's a time for me to, to look at my own life and to make sure that, one, I've put my faith in Jesus, and two, I'm following Jesus, and three, where I've stumbled in my walk with Jesus, that I go and correct that. Maybe it means to go and ask somebody to forgive me. Maybe it needs to go and, and admit wrong, or, and, and I, I take care of that so that I can turn away from sin and turn to God. It's a time to look inward, to seek God's forgiveness. And then he said it's a time to look forward to when Jesus will return. Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 say, whenever we do this, we, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a time to look forward. Jesus is going to return as he promised. And when I remember what he did in death, I look forward to what he's going to do in coming back. Now, granted, there is no command in the New Testament as to the frequency of this time, but there's a need to make sure we don't neglect it. Were it not for Jesus and his willingness to go to the cross for your sins and for mine, we wouldn't be here today. We need to remember the work of Jesus because it keeps our focus as a faith community. But they were devoted to a fourth thing and to prayer. Now, we've spent two full weeks, two full sermons on prayer. So let me just summarize it this way. Communicating with our God reminds us of our dependence as a faith community. Many years ago, I remember reading an article. It was an article by the pastor of a very large Midwestern church. Uh, this pastor was describing the events when he was called to lead this church. And uh, he described how they had been without a pastor for a little over a year as they went on this search and that there was a, a, an interim that had come in, an older gentleman, name was Jim, and he had come and really led the church well and encouraged the church well and for about a year it just really shepherded them along as an interim knowing that his time was temporary, knowing that someone else would come in. And he had such an impact on the church that when the new pastor came and they scheduled a leadership retreat and they invited Jim to come along. And the new pastor came and, and they went to this retreat and they were, they were in small groups. They were talking about the, the community, the larger community that they were trying to reach. They were talking about how things had changed, how they could be culturally relevant. They were talking about all this stuff, all the, the, the metrics and, and, and the population and all. And they had charts and they had graphs and they were strategizing. And, and they got all done with this great vision statement and mission statement, this strategic plan. And, and at one point they were kind of wrapping things up and Somebody turned to Jim. One of the elders turned to Jim and said, Jim, you've been with us for this last year. You've heard all of this. Do you have anything you want to add? Jim cleared his throat. And then with clarity, yet quietness and compassion, with a depth of authority and grace, he said, Gentlemen, 
I have just one thing to add. Leave room for God. That was the title of the article. The pastor writing the article, leading the meeting, said they just all stopped right there. They kind of put away the charts and the graphs and the plans and the statements. And he said, we spent the rest of the time in prayer, leaving room for God. And he said that sentence became the focus for the ministry of the church moving forward. Prayer does that. Prayer slows us down. When we communicate with God, it reminds us we're dependent on Him as a faith community. It reminds us we need to leave room for God to move, to guide, to change, to direct. Prayer individually and as a church reminds us to leave room for God. We have already seen how prayer is a core principle. But out of that, out of those four elements, a community was formed. And notice how Luke then describes those early days of the community. Everyone, verse 43, was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the the apostles. They were blown away. God was at work. The apostles did amazing things. And that helped the people to see this is God's work. Start to finish. It's not some kind of plan or vision or mission. It's God's work that we're part of but it grew from there all the believers were together and had everything in common they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved This commonality that they had in Jesus Christ, this fellowship, this bond, it grew, it spread. There were experiences of true one-anotheredness. All of a sudden, they realized some people had made great personal sacrifices to enter into this newfound faith. Some of those people were very poor, and others of them were quite wealthy, And and they began to realize this fundamental truth. It was actually in the Psalms, Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. uh, They realized it's all God's. God owns it all. And so the wealthy one said, you know, I can sell that extra chariot. I, I don't need it. I can sell that piece of land. I can sell that prize winning horse. I can sell those things because these people need Help, and I have the means to do it. We'll look at that more when we look at generosity in a couple weeks. They didn't have a building together in. Church buildings don't come along for many, many years. Where did they gather? They went to the temple courts. That was a common gathering place. So they they went there and they, they gathered together. They listened. They listened to teaching. They shared. They got together in each other's homes. They shared meals. You know, when you share a meal at your table or at someone else's table, there's a unique bond that develops. There's something about sitting together around the table and eating food together. There's something just so fundamentally community building about that. 
they probably got together too and ate at different homes because remember, this is Pentecost. And remember that group of people that are mentioned in the first part of Acts 2, Medes and Parthians and all these people from all over the Mediterranean, they're from out of town. It's very possible that some of the host families, when the newfound faith was expressed, said, not in my house, you're out. They, need, they may have needed places to stay. Other people said, we got extra room. We don't have a lot of room, but you know, we got an extra space on the floor. And so they got together. They shared meals together. The community kicked in, and they did this, notice, with glad and sincere hearts. That word sincere is not, the, it, it, there's a better word for that. There, there, was, there was a humility is what it really means. They were humble, they were generous, they were real. There was no pretense. They enjoyed being together. Recently, somebody was from out of town, just was visiting here. And you know what they said that they really liked? They said, you know what's really cool? Is when we were done with the service, people just stood around and talked. People connected with one another. People just chatted with one another. They said, that's really great. That's, that's enjoying being together. And it resulted in much praise to God. They, this was a great group to be with. What if that were us? I'm convinced it can be. I'm convinced it should be. One of the reasons that Charlene and I like to refer to Pleasant Hill Community Church as a family is because family is the first community in any of our lives. Families are supposed to be supportive and forgiving and loving and correcting and encouraging. That's what they're supposed to be. I know it doesn't always work that way, but that's what they're supposed to be. And when the family is working, when the community of Christ is working the way it should be, when the family of Christ is working the way it should be, then the Lord works. And it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord, the people saw what was going on. They saw the life-changing work. They saw the excitement. They said, I want to be, I want to be part of that. I want to be part of that group. They realized that the faith that bonded this group together was, was greater than one's background, greater than one's social status, greater than their economic status, greater than ethnicity, greater than anything else that divides us. It was their faith. And they wanted to be part of that community. In 2009, our son graduated from high school. I have not been to another band contest since that time. I have not even been to another high school football game since that time. I don't even know who the president of the Wheaton North Band Parents is anymore. I don't know, thankfully, when the next fundraiser is. Oh, I still know some parents that I hung out with in the day. Like I said, I see them around town. We're Facebook friends. And we are friends. I've had conversation with them. 
but we're no longer part of that community anymore. That's not the case with the Christian community, with the faith community. With the faith community, what we have common is first and foremost Jesus Christ, and he never changes. He never moves on. We can always depend on him. We have faith community family members. Charlene and I have faith community family members all over the world. And it's amazing when we get together face to face, and we may not have seen each other for three, five, even ten years, but we get together face to face, and all of a sudden we can talk and share and hang out, sometimes for hours. Why? Because what holds us together is our commonality in Jesus. And so we want to hear each other's experiences. We want to hear each other's ups and downs. We want to hear what's going on because together we celebrate Jesus. He brings us together. My prayer is that we strive to build into one another's lives so that we can discover on a regular basis what it means to embrace the strength of a faith community. And not just a faith community, but the faith community we call Pleasant Hill Community Church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the faith community of believers around the world. Thank you for the faith community that we call Pleasant Hill Community Church. May we continue to grow and develop together to build into one another's lives, to listen to one another, to support and encourage one another. And we pray, Lord, that in that, you will be pleased. And in that, you will receive the glory and honor. And in that, we can be a, an example to our larger community. In Jesus' name, amen.